If you're looking for great Christian content, we want to encourage you to check out peachtreepress.org. Peachtree Press LLC offers digital products, journals, books, Bible study guides, sermon outlines, Christian blogs, and church notebooks for children and adults. Some products are also available as print on demand. Peachtree Press is a sponsor of this program and a partner in offering authentic Christian content. For more information, check out peachtreepress.org. Welcome back, rappers, to our fourth season of the Ray Reynolds Rap Podcast. If you haven't already done it, please hit that subscribe button or follow us for content on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, and YouTube. Also, check out our website at rayreynoldsrap.com for sermons, weekly blogs, books, study guides, and lots of free stuff. Thanks again for joining us, and we hope you enjoy today's program. Last week, or I guess it was two weeks ago, uh, we got into a discussion about life after death, and it's been a topic of conversation pretty periodically through the study of uh, Revelation. And so we're down to chapter 12, which really 12 and 13 are the turning point of the book. It's when you finally see what Jesus is doing to accomplish what he promised in the first few chapters to overthrow the devil, uh, the dragon, and uh, the reason why Jesus had to come to make that happen. And so that little section of scripture is a good point for us to kind of ask a few important questions and seek some answers from scripture. And so it was a appropriate time for us to cover this topic before we get to the latter parts of Revelation. And so last week we got off, kind of chased a rabbit for about 30 minutes. And so I said, well, you know, next, no, two weeks ago, I said, next time we'll, we'll just cover this subject all together. So I'll do my best to present uh, the material this morning in a concise way, uh, I know some of it may seem a little complicated, and I'll do my best to try to um, uh, present it in a way that we can understand it. Uh, we're going to be talking a little bit about some places, specific places. I'll try not to get into all the Greek. Um, I could do that, but it, you know, it's not necessary uh, to see uh, kind of what happens when we die. Now, uh, I will say this also as kind of a um, disclaimer is that I have changed my view on this before. Uh, I had a certain perspective that I taught and preached from the pulpit, and you have to be really careful, uh, sometimes interpreting scripture. Oftentimes you may, I had a conversation with, with uh, actually Greg yesterday, who's filming Forgetting Your Bible. I filmed two sessions yesterday. Uh, in addition to Billy's many, many ones, I'll have two in there on discouragement. I'm doing that Sunday morning lesson that I did uh, at Fifth Sunday. I broke it into two lessons for television. But Greg and I were talking about how sometimes when we have a view, it's because we've been taught that view and we really haven't studied it. We, it's not like it's not like it's uh, um, wrong or sinful or even a salvation issue at all. It may just be we've been taught something and we just believe it that way. But when we're given an opportunity to study through scriptures, we might change our view. And this is something that, as I said. I'm hesitant to present it because I have changed my view before on this particular issue, but I feel confident at this moment to give you some scriptures and thoughts that to show you how I changed my perspective. And, um, and again, if you don't agree with it, that's fine. Uh, I totally understand. Ten years ago, we just stood arm in arm. So um, these are, are the scriptures just basically to share, to get the conversation started. And I will we'll open it up for questions throughout. Unlike what we do on Wednesday night, Sunday night, we're in a small room here so we can, we can hear everybody. The main question is, where are the dead? Like right now, 
if you were to die, where would you go and what would be happening? It's kind of the gist of the question that we were asked. So let me show you. This is something you might have seen before. How many of you have been raised in, in church your whole life? Okay. So you've probably seen something like this before, I'm going to guess. This chart is, and this one actually is done by Steve Rudd. And I saw these charts my whole life. Uh, and I'll show you in a minute a, a more clearer, short version of all of this. So you've got the church, the kingdom of Christ, the church of Christ. You've got the steps that are necessary for salvation. Uh, but there's also things that cause us to be lost. There's lust, there's sin, there's death. And there's two categories of those that are, upon death, go to the Hadean realm. Now, Hades, or Sheol, as it's mentioned in the Bible, is not always hell, or not always um, the, the evil side, if you will, of the waiting place. Hades just means the realm of the dead. So you have to look at the, the Hebrew words and the Greek words to see whether or not he's referring to the waiting place or the eternal place, which would be hell or heaven. So you have to go through several of these scriptures, but you see, ultimately, the view is, if you die and you're outside of Christ, you're lost. For if you're a non-Christian, if you're an unfaithful Christian, then you go to Tartarus, which is the word that is used, at least the Greek word that is used in reference to the, uh, the waiting place for hell. Okay? If you're faithful until death, or if you're a child, or I would put in that category uh, individuals who are unable to make their own decisions, uh, someone who is mentally incapable of being able to choose. And yes, I do believe wholeheartedly that includes people who reach an age where uh, they've lost their ability to make decisions for themselves, or they begin to act differently. And I say that clearly because as we get older, uh, we may reach a stage where, and some of you have had this experience where you've had a loved one in the nursing home, and I've known men and women this happened to. Wonderful, faithful Christians, loving moms, dads, spouses, amazing. And they get dementia, and they start cussing and throwing stuff and acting crazy. And I do not believe at all that they're held accountable for that behavior if they've already, quote, lost their mind. Their, their, their mentality has changed. And so uh, the same as we would say a child that cannot adequately make you know, basic fundamental decisions for their own life, a child we would consider to be safe. And I think this includes people with special needs uh, that mentally, we baptized the lady at Gulf Shores. I didn't, but um, actually, James, did you do that baptism? Yeah. I baptized the lady at Gulf Shores, a young woman who was born with Down syndrome. And she... Was as innocent as can be. Uh, now, there were times she would do things to disobey or like she liked to steal pens out of my office, but I kept pens in there for her to steal. Actually, in here, you'll see a box that's got her name on it. She took the box one day and kept loading it with pens, and her sister brought it back to me. And she said, uh, Judy's been taking your pens from the office. I said, that's fine. Said she's taking books, and she writes her name on it. And I said, it doesn't bother me at all. I think it's fine. So, um, but she, she was worried about her soul. She was worried about eternity. And so she wanted to be baptized. And so, you know, we baptized her. And uh, for her own sake and for the family's sake, some, some might say, well, did she need to be baptized? It doesn't really matter. I mean, if she wanted to do it, 
and we're not going to forbid her to do it. It gave her a sense of peace, and, um, and so that was, that was perfectly fine. But I think people with those kinds of mental issues, are, they're very hard to be held accountable for that when they are not making right decisions. You know, there comes a point in our life, and I think I mentioned this last week, if you, like, I don't, I don't know that you would be a sane person if you decided you constantly wanted to hurt yourself. If you just really want to hurt yourself all the time. Uh, we're born with an innate ability, uh, a willingness, a selfishness to protect ourselves. So if you have someone that's constantly practicing self-harm, something isn't right up here. Something's not right. And so some people can snap. Uh, they can be triggered in a way that they make a rash decision. And it's just one decision. And uh, I think God takes a look at our whole life. And I've known a lot of good men. You know, we, just yesterday uh, was the anniversary, anniversary of one of our young girls that took her life uh, two years ago. And so you wrestle with that. What does that mean? And, and I think people who make those kinds of rash decisions have not given it enough thought and prayer. They, they just real quickly make a, a decision. And it's one event in their whole life. Yes, it's a terrible thing. Um, but I think God, in his grace, looks at the whole picture. Um, so those that are faithful to death in the Bible, it tells us in Luke 16 as an example, uh, and that's really, you know, by the way, paradise is only mentioned three times in all of Scripture. So we base this view on three Scriptures. Uh, and two of those are in reference to heaven, actually. Paradise is used, but it's, in use, it's actually used as kind of a, you know, I say, I can't wait to get to paradise. Well, it's heaven, but I use paradise as the word. So only one Scripture that speaks of it as a place of rest. And so all of our views and all of our thoughts come back to one Scripture. And we're going to read that together. Then after that, um, this view, this view that's on the screen, is that we're, we're in this waiting place, whether you're headed to heaven or headed to hell. And I, and I have to ask the question, why did God allow a waiting place? What are they waiting for? That's the question to ask. If these places are a place of waiting, what are they waiting for? Are they waiting for judgment? Are they waiting for Jesus to fulfill what he was supposed to do on the cross? Because to me, everything in the Bible points to the cross. You can start in Genesis and it points to the cross. Revelation points back to the cross. Something happened, and we're going to address that today. Something happened that rocked that world. I mean, absolutely blew it up. Because Jesus went there and did some stuff. Uh, and then, so this view is that you're in this, you die, you go to this waiting place for however long, and uh, in paradise, you're kind of sleeping in a sleep-like state, and then in Tartarus, or in uh, the Hadean realm for the, those that are lost, there's torment, there's anguish, there's flames, there's weeping, gnashing of teeth. And then when Jesus comes back, this view is that when Jesus returns, there's a resurrection of everyone, uh, and God immediately gives grants access into heaven for the saved, and then he bangs the gavel and sends all of those who are lost to hell. And that includes those that are living and those that are dead. And that leads to eventually all these arrows, you know, and all these, all these things and all of this are pointing to two destinations. So that's a, that's a lot of hoops. So it's like when you, if you take this view, when you die, you go over here and wait. And then Jesus comes back, and you get up and wait. 
and then you get in line, and then you get eternal life. Um, but yet there are literally dozens and dozens of scriptures that seem to uh, point that that couldn't be the case. We'll get to those. But let's get to how this view is started. The, the main, if this verse was not in the Bible, you couldn't teach this. You have to have this verse to teach this view. So Luke 16, let's start there. And we're going to back up to um, verse 19. Luke 16 and 19. And this is what holds the glue of this, this together. It says, There was a certain rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. What was his name? We don't know. We don't know. The rich man, we don't know. He's just a rich man. But then there was a certain beggar, and his name was Lazarus. So we know him. We know his name. It says, full of sores, who was laid at his gate and laid at the rich man's gate, desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. So it was the beggar died and was carried to the angels in Abraham's bosom. So that's another term here used for paradise. The rich man also died and was buried. And being in torments, that's more than one, in Hades, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. Then he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, son, remember that in your lifetime you received good things and likewise Lazarus evil things. But now he is comforted and you are tormented. And besides all this between us there and you, there is a great gulf fixed so that you who those who want to pass from here to you cannot, nor can those from there pass to us. Then he said, I beg you, therefore, father, that you would send him to my father's house. For I have five brothers that he may testify to them, test that, uh, uh, test that, pardon me, lest that they also come to this place of torment. Abraham said to him, they have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. And he said, no, Father Abraham, but if one goes to them from the dead, they'll repent. But he said to them, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rise from the dead. So this is the key text to understanding this particular viewpoint. Um, notice the great gulf. No one can cross this gulf. No one can pass, he says, from one to the other. Part of the torment of Hades, the Hadean realm, part of the torment of Tartarus, is being able to see what's going on in paradise. In the moment that this rich man hits this terrible place of torment and anguish, he can see across this great gulf. Some call it the crystal sea. We don't know that that's the case. Crystal sea is used in, in Revelation, as we've already studied. But no one can cross that gulf. So let's look at a couple of details as to why this view is so prominent. One is you have a real name. When Jesus tells parables. He doesn't use real names. This is one of the few times he actually says there was a man named Lazarus. Not to be confused with Lazarus who was raised from the dead. Um, so this, this moment is he can see Abraham, and he can talk to Abraham, but he cannot converse with Lazarus. Lazarus is at rest. So let's ask a couple questions. If we're just looking at the text. Uh, there's no doubt these seem to be two locations, really two places. 
Uh, and yet the man who dies is tormented in a way that sounds exactly like hell. I mean, this, it's, in fact, some translations translate it to hell. I don't, I don't agree with that. But whatever he's going through is absolute torture. And he says, send Lazarus back. Send him back. Now, why would, why, would he, why would he want that? Because it says that his family is lost, and he wants them to hear the gospel. And unfortunately, Father Abraham says to them, well, that, that can't happen. You know, if you can't come here, we can't go there. And so let's ask, why is he able to communicate with Father Abraham, but he can't communicate with Lazarus? Yeah. It destroys the escape hatch that... Uh... Some religious people refer to right. as purgatory. <coughs> Correct. So there's no escape hatch from right. one to the other. That's right. Now there is, um, just to be quite frank, there's a teaching among Catholics of purgatory. And the purgatory realm, which is a, a stage of this Hadean Tartarus level, that um, they're kind of in limbo. <clears throat> so it's kind of like this. And the LDS Church teaches this too is that after death, you have a couple of options. You know, you're, you're either lost, lost, or you're kind of lost. <laughs> you're kind of lost. Well, they also have the people that are still alive. Right. such can affect right. their situation there. Right. Yeah, they, they actually, um, we can go back and look. This is one of the things Luther was so angry about. That's why he split from the Catholic Church, is he could not stand the fact that you could pay a priest to pray for your lost person so that they might gain interest. It's almost as if he becomes the mediator. Uh, they also have a practice within, um, in the LDS church, they baptize for them. You know, they just, well, we'll just baptize them and then that'll get them out. But with the Catholics, they say you can pray them out, you can give them out, you know, you give enough money, then they'll jump out of that particular place of waiting. But uh, another teaching that they have is you can pray to someone like Abraham up in heaven and they can pull them out. So you pray to Mary, you can pray to St. Joseph, you can pray to St. Andrew, you can pray to St. whoever. If you like Jonah Ark, she's a saint, pray to her. And Joan of Ark can help pull your loved one out of the gates of hell or at least the waiting place. And it just really is... It, it, it makes it makes it sound like it's, it's complete nonsense, but it makes it sound like ah well if you go to that place of torment you might get out, you know you're not gonna be there forever. Yeah, Ben. How did the rich man know Abraham? That's a great. I don't think he had a name badge. You know, I don't think it said hello. My name is Abraham. <laughs> so how did he know? That's a great question. How did he know Father Abraham? And how come Abraham can talk to him? But he can't talk to Lazarus. Um, the, many times in our Bible, there are places where words can be capitalized. And I think it's entirely possible that the reference to Abraham is not Abraham, but a father of many nations. It could refer to God that's holding him. Um, it could be that that is the, the reference. It's not Abraham the person, but it's kind of like, you know, we talk about going over Jordan. You really think there's going to be a Jordan River, you know, in heaven? We talk, we use biblical terms and, and places that may not necessarily reference the place. There is a place called Tartarus. There is a place that you can actually visit that looks like a horrible place to live. Uh, Megiddo or Armageddon, it's a real place. You can actually go into the valley and look at the valley and see there's wars there that take place all the time, generation after generation. 
So sometimes terms are used like that, and it's possible Abraham could, have be, could be a reference to the Lord just holding him. Uh, but I've always wondered that. If, why can Abraham talk to him? If, if he can talk to the rich man, the rich man can talk to him, then while they're in torment, does that mean? I'm like, what? He's being tortured, right? We understand that. Torments. He's being tortured. If this is Father Abraham, the man, wouldn't he have compassion? Say, I'm so sorry, man. I'm so sorry that you're there. If there was anything I could do, I'd get you out. I'm so sorry. That's not really paradise to me. That's not paradise to me. I don't want to go to a place where I watch people be tortured for an eternity. That's not paradise to me. I don't want to see that. Would you want to see that? If you were, if you were Father Abraham, and this is a real story now, you're Father Abraham, and you're holding some guy that's had just a terrible time, and instead of saying, you know, I'm going to focus all my attention on the people that are saved, you're going to basically mock the people that are dead? Is that fun? Is that, what, what's the purpose of the story? Is the purpose of the story, Father Abraham saying to him, hey, you had every chance. You're lost. You know, you ought to be ashamed of yourself. Is there anything you can do for me? Can you just get me some water? Nope. You are, you're lost, buddy. Why is he still talking to him? What's the purpose of the story? We have something like that in, uh, when uh, the Lord was transfigured. Yeah. You know, how did the apostles know who he was talking to? <laughs> right. I mean, these people were long gone. And, uh... Yeah, I wondered it. When they showed up on the scene, if, if Moses says, hi, everybody, I'm Moses. You know, there was something about them, about their appearance that they recognized, or at least were in their presence long enough, they recognized who they were. And so uh, I, I hate to be, I'm not trying to be uh, disrespectful in any way, shape, or form, but I would probably have a hard time because most of them look the same. Like they, we, we, if, you, if I just show you a picture of a guy with a white beard and a robe, who is it? You know, and you're like, well, Moses, uh, Elijah, no. We know it's not Elisha, he was bald, right? But the one, we see a guy with a white beard, who is that? Could be, is that, how do we know that's not Abraham? So we, we draw pictures in our minds of what people look like. Um, but in this case, uh, we have uh, supposedly a father Abraham holding this uh, beggar who had lived such a difficult life, keeping him at rest, and you have the torture end. And I think that maybe the reason why this is told, the story is told, in the context anyway, is he's talking about the change that was going to take place between the old and the new law. In fact, he even says, if they want an answer, they need to seek the law and the prophets. Did you see that? They got Moses, they got the law, they got the prophets, they can figure it out for themselves. And so basically the idea Jesus is teaching here is these two guys, he doesn't say when you get to paradise or when you get to heaven, this is what you're going to see. It's just a story is that this was taking place at that time that Jesus is telling it. These are stories, or this is a story of something that had happened or was happening in uh, Hades itself. But after this, it's never mentioned again. It's never mentioned again. This is the only passage. Um, So I think we have to be really careful sometimes that we take one verse and we just jump off into, you know, the Bible says by grace you're saved. Are you saved by grace? Amen. Amen. I'm saved by grace, but it doesn't say grace alone. It says grace. We're saved also by faith. We're saved by the blood of Jesus. We're saved by uh, several different things, God's mercy. Um, so, so that's a lot of work. So let me give you the rundown. They're real simple. Okay, this is the simple view. 
Uh, Hades, the underworld, or the unseen realm. There are lost people, and there are saved people. The lost people are in a waiting room. And Psalm talks about that, 917. We understand that there's a place of, of, uh, where, that, where those that are in a Hadean realm, which again, the difference between uh, Gehenna and Tartarus. Gehenna is the waiting place. Tartarus is the final rest or final punishment. Paradise, waiting room. But over here, there's eternal death, which happens, uh, it seems to be that it happens at the end of this story where uh, Matthew, there's a couple of verses where Jesus talks about Gehenna hell, which is the final hell. You're out of the wedding place, you're in the fire. Um, Paul talks about it, and John does here in Revelation. Also, for those that are saved, uh, heaven is opened. And so you've got places like uh, Matthew 5, Matthew 6. Uh, we're going into the book of Hebrews. Heaven is opened, and hell is opened. Where the pit opens up, they all fall in. This is a... Uh, kind of a shortened version of the previous um, picture. Now, any questions or thoughts about that particular scenario? You know, when Saul had Samuel yeah. brought out of the Hadean world, yeah, yeah. I mean, the witch of Endor, right. was she in the bad place? Or, or the, <laughs> yeah. Know, it's, uh, if you get into... Too many questions. Uh, you confuse yourself. Yes, I agree. And I and I have chased those rabbits many, many a times and thought, man, I don't know, I don't know. But I'll tell you where I am right now. Um, and I, I've mentioned a couple times through the through the course of this that I've changed my view before. But I was, I just want to take you down the road that that I take to get to a different viewpoint. The first one is we've got to ask the question. What are these places of waiting for? What is, what is paradise and um, Tartarus, the Hadean realm, what are they for? So let's ask some questions. So let's go to Matthew 11 and look at one verse that speaks, of, uh, speaks to this subject. So Matthew 11 and verse 23, and I've got it here on the screen if you can see it says, uh, and you, Capernaum, who are exalted to heaven, will be brought down to Hades for the mighty works which were done in you have been done in Sodom. It would have remained until this day. Now, Jesus teaches the same thing in Luke 10 and verse 15. So it's a different gospel account, same story. So my question to you, why does he mention the fate of Sodom? Why doesn't he mention the fate of Rome or Babylon or any of the previous just to Jesus's time frame. Why would he mention Sodom? They're wicked. They were the worst of the worst. And so he's making a comparison here to an Old Testament biblical city that you would say, oh, everybody was lost in that city. They're all condemned. There's no question about it. The second question I would ask is why is he referring to the Sodomites as already doomed? Why are they already doomed? Why is he picturing them as reaching eternal hell if they're not in hell. They're in a waiting place. Because of their practices. Okay. So he's saying because of what they've done, they're going to go to hell, but they're not, not yet. They're going to go to a waiting place and then they'll go to hell. Why, would, why wouldn't he just come out and say they go to a Hadean realm before they go to hell? We don't know. 
Don't really have a good answer. All right, so Matthew 16. Yeah, well, if we've, if we've based that on Luke 16, it seems that they went to a place and waited until judgment. And then Matthew 16 and 18, we're probably more familiar with this one. It says, I say to you, you're Peter, and on this rock I'll build my church. And the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. Why didn't he say hell? Why did he say Hades? Why is he talking about the Hadean realm? The gates of... Yeah, maybe. Maybe. Uh, This is is important moving forward because we read earlier in Revelation chapter 1. The gates... And I don't have them with me. Man. Uh, I was going to hold up my keys. The gates of Hades will not prevail against the church. Against the church. Well, who has the keys? Peter says, I have the keys. You're going to give me the keys to open it, but they're not to be kept forever because Jesus in Revelation 1 has the keys. And he says in Revelation 1, I've opened up the gate. So the gates of Hades no longer holds any sway over the saved. You're not going to go somewhere and sit and wait. Jesus says, the gates of Hades will never prevail against the church. And he tells us in Revelation why, because he's unlocked the door. Um, so why the gates of Hades and not paradise? Or why not hell? Why doesn't he say hell will never overcome the church? He uses Hades for a reason, the Tartarus word. Um, and who held the keys? He says, You're gonna, I'm going to give you the keys, but it's not full time, because in Revelation, he's got them back. Peter unlocks the door, or if you will, preaches the message that allows people to be saved or lost based on their own decision-making, their own free will. Um, So what's significant about the message about Hades in Acts 2? Well, he says that Jesus would not rot in Hades forever. Uh, So that's a prophecy of Old Testament Scripture. So Jesus had to have gone. Where did Jesus go three days he was in the grave? Jesus had to have gone to that Hadean realm, not to hell but to the Hadean realm. Uh, So what does Peter say about this connection to Jesus, to the kingdom? Um, Later on, again, in Acts chapter 2, Jesus has overcome. Jesus has conquered the devil. Well, how do you conquer the devil? Because he beat him in death. It is because of the death of Christ that he beats the devil. And he beats the devil not just by dying, but by being raised again. So what Jesus does at the cross and at the resurrection is the turning point of both human history and of the history of the dead. Something miraculous, unbelievable, a just amazing thing happened during the port of the grave. And we'll get to those verses in a minute. But he's saying the gates of Hades are not going to prevail against the church. It's not going to happen because the doors are unlocked. Um, another one is, again, Luke 16. The, the rich man can see, speak, and hear, but Lazarus can't. And I've always thought that was interesting. How can Lazarus not talk, but, but Abraham can? What are the differences? We've, we've dealt with that. And could the father, Abraham speak, could be, could be the Lord. So the other place where paradise is mentioned, again, it's only mentioned um, three times. Acts twenty three forty three. And Jesus said to him, Assuredly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. So... Um, why did the thief get the privilege of being with Jesus? They were both going to be in the Hadean realm. 
Right. They were both going to be in the Hadean realm. But he says, remember me when you come in your kingdom. Right. And he says, today you'll be with me in paradise. Which side of the underworld is that? The good or the bad? Paradise is the good side. Right. Did Lazarus converse with Abraham? No. He didn't converse with anybody. Well, what, what difference would it make if I say I'm going to see you there if we're not going to interact? Jesus saying to him, I'll see you soon. They're going to interact in that Hadean realm means Jesus is going to be talking to him and he's going to see him, may even be able to touch him. When Jesus goes into the grave, those three days he is in this realm, he's going to be conversing with people like this man that are saved. So Jesus wasn't just sleeping for three days. He was at work. He was doing some really cool stuff. Um, and was that fair to Lazarus? He was with Abraham. Why can why can Lazarus not talk? He might have been just awestruck. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe he passed out. <laughs> what, what would he say? Yeah, 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 yeah. Right, right. Good point. So, what was Jesus supposed to be doing? We really don't know yet. I'll show you some verses. And the other thing is, why doesn't Jesus go to heaven? If Jesus if Jesus is going to die and be placed in a grave, why doesn't he go to heaven? Why does he have to come back and resurrect? And after he resurrects, why doesn't he just fly off to heaven? What's he doing for those 50 days? Why is Jesus walking through walls and people are being raised from the dead? And why is all that happening? That is confirming the prophecies of the Old Testament. And Joel 2, which Peter's preaching from in Acts, is talking about Jesus' work in the Hadean realm, which he did for those three days. Um, so this is prior to the cross. Something happens at the cross that we can't explain. Uh, let's go to Joel 2. Uh, actually, I'll tell you what, let's, let's go to Acts, because Acts has it in context. Go to uh, Acts chapter 2, and we're going to see the readings of, of, of Joel throughout it. And remember, this is about 9 o'clock in the morning. They've been filled with the Holy Spirit. They're speaking in different languages, and they're accusing them of being drunk, which Peter says it's impossible. It's not even that time of the day for something like that. And so he stands up, uh, and he begins to preach in verse 14. Peter, standing up at the eleven, raised his voice and said to them, Men of Judea and all who are dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and heed my words. For these are not drunk, as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day. But this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, I will pour out my, uh, my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. And on my men servants and on my maid servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they shall prophesy. And I'll show wonders in heaven above and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness, the moon into blood before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. And it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Men and brethren, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles, wonders and signs. Which, that's a great study, by the way, if you want to chase a rabbit. Three different ways God works. Which God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. Him being delivered by uh, the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands, have crucified, and put to death. Whom God raised up, 
God raised up, this is important, verse 24, having loosed, having loosed the, the, uh, having loosed the pains of death because it was not possible that he should be held by it. So Jesus conquers death and he loosens the chains. Remember that, that's important. Verse 25, for David says concerning him, I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore, my heart rejoiced and my tongue was glad. Moreover, in my flesh also will rest in hope for you will not leave my soul in what? Hades. The prophecy of David, the prophecy of Joel, the prophecy of Isaiah, the prophecy of Daniel, the prophecy of Micah. Many of the early prophets spoke about Jesus's work at the cross and immediately after the cross. You will not leave my soul in Hades. Jesus would not stay there. He was only there three days. Nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. That's what happens in the waiting place. Your body corrupts. Uh, verse 28. You have made known to me the ways of life. You will make me full of joy in your presence. Men and brethren, let me speak freely to you about the patriarch David. That he's both dead and buried and his tomb is with us to this day. Therefore, being a prophet and knowing that God had sworn an oath to him that the fruit of his body, according to the flesh, he would raise up the Christ to set on his throne. Why didn't he just do that? Why didn't he just take Jesus and put him on the throne? Why did Jesus have to resurrect and ascend? That's a good question. He, foreseeing this, spoke concerning the resurrection of Christ that his soul was not left in Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God has raised up, of which we're all witnesses. That's the, that's the most important part, so that you can actually see it. Anybody could say he died and did this and that. Jesus had to come back and say, hey, I did it. Therefore, being exalted to the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he poured out this, which you now see and hear, for David did not ascend into the heavens, but he said to himself, the Lord said to my Lord, set at my right hand till, till I make your enemies your footstool, which is what happens at the cross. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of Paul's men, brethren, what we need to do. And you know the rest of the story. Um, they're saved. So the prophecy of Joel 2 the prophecy of Psalm chapter 16, the message of Peter, not just Psalm 16, Psalm 68, Psalm 110. All of these prophecies were that Jesus, during those three days after he died, would go to the Hadean realm. That's, that's confirmed. There's no, that's without question. So my question to you is, what was he doing? Why did he have to go? Why doesn't Jesus just ascend to heaven? Or if he's going to die and be resurrected, why doesn't he do it immediately after he dies? They check his pulse, they wrap his body, and he just pops out. Well, Jesus tells us in his own words that he had to be in the earth three days like Jonah was in the belly of the whale for three days. Where God was preparing him to come out and do work. God was allowing Jesus to prepare his apostles as they saw him as witnesses. So Jesus is doing something. He's doing something in those three days in the grave. Yeah, Micah? Hearing the prophets, hearing Moses and Abraham, 
Yeah. So that they can go to heaven like Christians. Right. I think that's a great point. I think that's a great point. I, uh, we often assume, so not we, but some people often assume that they're waiting for judgment day. Well, they got woke up. If they're asleep waiting on judgment, like if, I, if you say you slept all night, then you slept all night, right? But if you say I slept, but I got up at three o'clock for a couple hours and went back to sleep, that's totally different. In this story of Luke 16, there is no waking. There is no conversating. There is no conversation with Jesus. There is a specific story that, that is very cut and dried. But something happens while Jesus goes in there for three days. That's in our terminology of three days, by the way. But Jesus was doing something because they woke up. And not only did they wake up, Matthew says some of them got up out of the graves and started walking in the city. And there is no way to explain that unless Jesus started unlocking some doors. What are keys for? You know, Billy's got a key in his office to the city of Evergreen, Alabama. He's got a key to the city. That's pretty cool, right? That's symbolic. It doesn't mean a single thing. You take that thing up there to Evergreen, and I guarantee you, you couldn't open a single door in that city. <laughs> but Jesus is given keys, and he tells us what he's going to do repeatedly. And the prophecies tell us over and over and over again, he was going to be unlocking doors. He was going to be taking chains off. He was going to be at work. So they were asleep at rest, maybe, but they're woken up. Because they get an opportunity now to see Jesus, to hear Jesus, and he's unlocking some gates. Now, why would you, um, let me ask you this. If I want to get into my house when I get home, could I unlock the door and then lock it back? I mean, yeah, sure I could, but what's the purpose of getting in the house? I'm going to unlock the door and lock it back. Jesus is unlocking doors that have been locked since the time of Noah. And that's told by Peter. And he's unlocking doors. Why would he unlock doors and take chains off to say, you're free? But not really. You got to stay here until the end of time. You see where I'm going? It doesn't make a lot of sense that Jesus would unlock doors and tell them they could come out. Why would he unlock gates and say, stay put? What's the purpose? Well, let me give you a couple more. Psalm 16 says, You will not leave my soul in Hades, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. Jesus was not going to stay. It was a temporary visa, okay? Psalm 132, 11-13. The Lord has sworn in truth to David, he will not turn from it. I will set upon your throne the fruit of your body. If your sons will keep my covenant and my testimony, which I shall teach them, their sons also shall set upon the throne forever, for the Lord has chosen Zion. Acts 2, again, we just read. He foreseeing this spoke concerning the resurrection of Christ, that his soul was not left in Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This is a foreseeing of what would happen at the cross. Um, here's a couple more. In Matthew 27, there were people raised from the dead. And there's a discussion of the resurrection. But that story in Matthew 27 sounds different from what happens to Lazarus in John 11. So that's a question. It seems to be that there's a transition between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. And the reason why is because... What are they waiting for? Let's say that we're waiting for final judgment. And that's entirely possible. There's the verses that, that you might be able to use for that. But what if they're waiting for the turning point of human history? What if the waiting place is for Jesus to die on the cross to be able to open the doors? Yeah. In Matthew, when you talk about grave were open. Yeah. It also says that they didn't ride to go to the cities until after his yeah, right. <laughs> uh, 
it's, it's crazy. I mean, why, why, why are these people waking up from the dead? It's not because the earth shook. You know, I've been out and I've seen a lot of construction going on around cemeteries. I don't see anybody digging their way out and walking around the streets. This is not because the earth shook. It's because Jesus unlocked doors. There's no question in my mind. He unlocked doors and some crazy stuff happened. Um, so it says Jesus, this is Ephesians 4. So you've got, this is not just uh, the Gospels. Every writer in the New Testament that references heaven or references Jesus references the work that Jesus does. Jesus isn't just sitting there on a cloud. He's sitting there at the right hand. Peter preaches that in Acts 2. So to put this into perspective, Ephesians 4, 8 through 10 says, When he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. Now this he ascended. Paul's like, just in case you need a little commentary, let me tell you this. Now this he ascended, what does it mean? But that he first descended into the lower parts of the earth he who descended is also the one who ascended far above the heavens that he might fill all things. He anticipates that his readers already know that what Jesus did in the lower parts of the earth or in the Hadean realm made a significant eternal impact. He doesn't have to give the whole story. They already know this because Peter preached it next too. It was a fundamental doctrine of the church that, that Jesus went down into Hades for those three days. And then he rose again, and then he ascended to heaven. Um, he set captives free. Hmm. He, set, he went to the lower parts of the earth, and he set the captives free. How, how free are they if they're not where they're supposed to be? Why would Jesus unlock the doors and go, hey, good to see you. <clears throat> now stay here until the end of time. If he led captives... Free, he took them to where they're supposed to be. That's a simple, again, this is where I come from, is that something happened at the cross where Jesus gave entrance to those that were saved in the waiting place, immediate access to heaven. And that would explain all of Revelation, is that there are people who are now in heaven. Really, it's hard because we can't reconcile it. Why is Antipas, why is he mentioned? Why are the martyrs mentioned at the throne in Revelation 4 and 5? Why is Moses there? Why, is, why are there Jews there if it doesn't reference what was happening at the immediate moment that Jesus wrote the letter? Yeah. You're fine. Mm-hmm. So are you saying that the, the Jews of the Old Testament mm-hmm. that were not faithful, they were they given another chance? No. I think that when Jesus comes, and this gets back to something said in Peter, is he preaches to them. And I think it goes back to what Mike was saying. I'm who you've been waiting for. You know, I've been, if you've been locked in a prison cell, I don't care if you're getting the death penalty or you're getting set free on bond. It's nice to get out of that cell. And Jesus says, I've come here to unlock the doors. And he unlocks the doors. He lets those, it seems to be from this passage, that we'll see several more. That whatever he did was to usher those people into eternity. And so if he allowed some who were saved to go to the final resting, then it would make sense that he also punished those from the days of Noah that had waited. So more than likely it was, I'm who you've been looking for. Um, I'm the Messiah. I'm the Christ. Because you wouldn't preach to lost people to give them a second chance. Otherwise, sodomites would not actually be described as going to hell, which Jesus does in his ministry. So it's not like he gave people a second chance. It's just that if you were faithful to God and those Jews who had been get entrance into heaven, but those that are lost, they're described in Revelation as going to the fire. Yeah, that's two torture right there. Yeah, double torture. Yeah, 
pretty rough. And so then let's look at First Peter 3. We'll have to end here because we're out of time, believe it or not. Um, let me give you one more food for thought. And uh, I hate to do this, but we'll, we'll, if, you, if y'all want to, we can talk more about it next week. Um, <laughs> um, so look at First Peter chapter three. I can, yeah, I can do that. You'll have to burn it after you read it, though. All right, uh, chapter three, eighteen. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the, by the Spirit, by whom. Also, he went and preached to the spirits in prison. Which spirits are those? In prison? Those that died previously. Right. And this is Jews and they're in holding in the Hadean realm. That's right. They're in the holding place in the Hadean realm. Including the thief on the cross. That's right. The thief on the cross. Very good. Jesus said, I'll see you. They'll be together. And this is where it happens. So what are they doing? Why, why, why is he talking? What's he preaching about? Verse 20. Who formerly, this is the spirits in prison, who formerly were disobedient, when once the divine long-suffering waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight souls, were saved through water. So he says, those that had, and remember the whole earth was punished. The whole earth was completely cleansed. They killed all the humans, all the animals, except for those that were on the ark. Eight humans were left on the ark and uh, two, or actually it's more than two. They went in two by two. Some of them had as many as seven or more. But uh, he says these people were waiting in their prison cell since the days of Noah. They were lost. There's no question they were lost. They were pure evil. That's why God had to cleanse the earth. And they were waiting in prison for their punishment. Now, if we just have this text of Scripture and nothing else you just saw, nothing else, what is Jesus doing? He's preaching to those that are lost. It's not to save them, but it's to tell them, now you're condemned. He's issuing judgment upon them, right? It seems that he's issuing a judgment upon them. So they're receiving an eternal fate for what they've done. It's not like he takes them out of prison and gives them a lecture and locks the door back. That doesn't seem, that's not in the text. So instead, he's preaching to them. They had been waiting and then if he's leading the captives, cap, captivity captive, if he's taking the captives and setting them free, then it seems also equally important to see that those that are lost, he's opening the gates of hell. So you've got some going to heaven and some going to hell. Jesus, whatever it was, offered a major judgment scene during those three days in the cross. And it's not, and this is just, we're just covering a handful. There's dozens of more passages that, that we'll, we'll look at. But the prophecies concerning the cross was that it would be the turning point of human history. So I'll leave you with this thought, and then if you've got some questions, we'll, we'll get to them. Is that you could not be lost until Jesus. You were, you were in a waiting place because hell could not be opened until Jesus died on the cross. Heaven could not be opened until Jesus died on the cross. Go back to Leviticus. Go back to Exodus. When the sacrifices were offered for the Passover lamb, it tells us their sins were rolled forward to the cross. That you could not be lost or saved until Jesus came. Because it is by his death, by his death, all those under the old covenant are spared and lost. And under the new covenant, you can be spared or lost. Everything comes back to the cross. They were waiting until then. Now all today, everything we're doing 
is rolled back to the cross. So the cross is the turning point of human history. It would make sense that something amazing happened during those three days where there is unlocking of doors. And there, I mean, it's, it's impossible to, to, to say Jesus wasn't up to something. I mean, it's impossible. So what was he doing and why was he doing it? That's the question. Uh, so we got about three, four, five minutes. What questions do you have about what we've talked about so far? Right. Yeah, that's a tough one. In fact, if you if you believe that everybody just waits, you're going to have a lot of problems with Revelation. You're going to have a lot of problems with it. There there are people there by name by name that are in heaven. It's not paradise. It's described as heaven. So uh, if God's not a respecter of persons. Why is he letting Christians in while the rest of us have to go set in a waiting place? It doesn't make a lot of sense. It's, do people get special treatment? So, like, I can't tell you where we're going to go in death if some of the people are going to go to heaven and some are going to go to paradise. I can't tell you because I don't know where you're going to go. If you're like a martyr, you go to heaven. If you're not, you must go to some waiting place, holding cell, until the end of time. Revelation does not speak of those holding places. It says he unlocked the doors and began judgment at the cross. So it's. So is that the only time that round that was there? Yeah. Until Jesus died. Right. Uh-huh. So there is no. I I, I would say my 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 thoughts on it is I cannot prove beyond a shadow of a doubt that those two realms continue to exist until this day. Um, now time works differently in the next realm. It may be in the twinkling of an eye that we go to that place and are immediately set free. I've also thought maybe it's possible that Jesus unlocked the doors and, and, and gave judgment to all of them. But then now we go to that waiting place. So, yeah. Well, everybody that was in that waiting place were under the old law. Right. And at that time, Jesus was fulfilling the prophecies. Everybody, whenever you open the gates, everybody was up under the old law. And from that time on, everybody's under the new law. So right. maybe you, for lack of a better way to put it, a clearinghouse for yeah. those that were there. That is entirely likely. And I, you know, I, I wrestle with that too, is because it seems that when the doors are opened and the people are set free, that those rooms are vacated. You know, so maybe. Maybe I've, I've thought about that before. What if those waiting places are now where we go? But again, I struggle with Revelation because Christians are there. And the other thing, too, this is an important one, is Hebrews 11 and 12, we can't make sense of. If we believe in a waiting place, which is fine, it's, it's not a salvation issue, is that you cannot teach Hebrews 11 and 12. You cannot. Because Hebrews 11, he talks about Abraham, he talks about Moses, and he talks about you know, Isaac and Jacob, and he talks about Daniel, and he talks about David, and he talks about Joseph and Joshua, and all these great Bible figures. And then he says in chapter 11, verse 1, and now we are surrounded by this cloud of witnesses. So what's the cloud of witnesses? Well, how come those people, he says, so now let us run our race with endurance. Um, Jesus endured until the very end, and the angels were watching, no doubt, from heaven. But now in Hebrews 11 and 12, he says there are humans, all, all these people who have run their race, now they watch you run yours. Well, if Lazarus is asleep, and that's the paradise realm, how can they watch us? You know, you ever, you ever had something happen where like you, you sleep through something? You know, we had an earthquake one night down here in Somerdale, and I didn't even know about it. 
until I woke up the next morning. 4.7 earthquake down here about three or four years ago. I didn't even know about it. I slept through it. Would I be a witness to the damage of the earthquake? Hello? All right. That's it. Crickets. Crickets. If I'm a, if I'm a witness, I saw the crime. Right? I'm a witness. I saw it. So there are witnesses. There are witnesses now watching us run our race. Well, if you believe that everybody goes to a waiting place, what in the world is the Hebrew writer talking about? How can they witness something if they're asleep? That happens after the cross. I always fall back on the scriptures when it says his thinking is so far above. Oh, yeah. There's no doubt. There's no doubt. And that's what I struggle with. It's because my little finite mind runs around with these Greek words. And I start looking at this and looking at that. And I'm still like, I, I, should you even teach it unless you can say beyond a shadow of a doubt, this is what I believe and this is what everybody should believe. And some people would say, no, you shouldn't. You shouldn't. But I think it's raw and honest and authentic when I tell you that here are three or four different views on this. And you make your own decision as to what you believe. The other thing to take into consideration is Right. We really need to know. Yeah. That's right. That's right. It's a great point. Is on some of these things we could sit around and, and debate and go through scripture after scripture. And this is now you understand why it's so easy for people to fall into denominationalism. Because if you view it one way and I view it other one other way, maybe we just can't be brethren anymore. You need to go there and start your own. We still believe in the Hadean realm church. And we're over here with the we don't believe in the Hadean realm church. But that's how religious groups get divided. But the point is, like James said, this is not an issue that we need to know. I guarantee you when you die, it's going to happen fast. And when you wake up, whatever happens is going to happen. And judgment is already based on how you live, not what you do for those times you're in the grave. So we know, we can know that we're saved or lost based on the way that we live our life. So whether or not we go and we rest for a little while, I would assume that if that were the case, it would be very quick. It's not like, I mean, I've woke up before and slept 12 hours. And how in the world did I sleep 12 hours? I just laid down. But there are other nights I've laid down for four hours and got up and said, man, I feel pretty good. <laughs> and I didn't get a full night's sleep. So we don't know how long. But, uh, I think we'll, we will know yeah. that, that we're in a safe condition and we're going to be rejoicing. And boy, I can't wait. That's right. That's right. And these people that are in the... The, the Hadean lost family. Yeah. Okay. They're dreaded. They're yeah. oh, yeah. already and they're dreaded. They ain't seen nothing until they get That's it. right. <laughs> yeah. And I think that's torture too. The hardest part of the, of, of the rich man's story is he could see everything yeah. and how terrible. See, hell is a separation. Eternal hell is a full separation. It's not just a petition, it's a full separation. You won't even be able to see heaven. I do believe that. Beyond a shadow of a doubt, because I do have the uh, right now, currently, as we stand, my view is that when we die, we go to heaven or hell. Um, There may be a short time in the process of getting into the doors, into the gates. But if Hebrews, if you if you're if your parents, grandparents, spouse, children, whoever you've lost aren't watching, you know, Abraham, Moses and and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph and Daniel and Samson and Jephthah are all watching because that's what Hebrews 11 says. So you're watching them run your race. And also, too, this is I'll, I'll leave with this. I keep saying I'll leave with this, and the preacher keeps talking. But when you get to heaven, you're going to want to see Abraham. You're going to want to see Noah. You're going to want to see all those great people that have gone before you. But think about this. Just because you're excited to see people, they've had to watch you run your race. So while you're like, Moses, what was it like to 
part the Red Sea? What was it like to confront Pharaoh? There are people right now watching your race that when you get there, they got some questions. How did you overcome the loss of a spouse? How did you overcome the loss of a child? What was it like to fight cancer for five years and finally get that diagnosis that the cancer's gone? What was it like when you went through this terrible surgery and almost, did you know how close to death you really were? So that cloud of witnesses is watching for interaction. So when you get to heaven, as bad as you want to wait in line, there are some people who want to wait in line for you too. Uh, we are still a living testament of God. We are living epistles. We are uh, a living representation of Christ on the earth. So as Christians, when we run our race, you know, people don't run a race and get a trophy and go, okay, good job. No, they're like, man, that was awesome. Take some pictures. You know, get some autographs. When you win something, it's big. And I think that there will be people there that are going to, their testimony is great. I love Moses, love Abraham. But there are a lot of good Christian men and women that are living today that are giants among us. And I think when we get there, we'll be surprised how long their line is. Maybe even our line, if we've lived a good, faithful life. Um, we've endured a lot of persecution in our country. And uh, so I think that the line goes both ways. You know, I think it would be pretty much hell to have to explain some of the things I've done. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, and, right. and with the way until I get to heaven and then explain right. it. Right. Tell me. Yeah, tell me about it. Yeah, I know. I don't. I, that's right. That's kind of like when the when when those we talked about those uh, martyrs at the throne. The martyrs are at the throne, and they say, "Hey, God, go down there and avenge our death. Those people killed us. Go take care of them." And you know, he kind of gives them some white clothes and says, "It's okay, kids." And he, he doesn't deal with it. He lets them continue to persecute church. So there, it's a two way street. You're seeing the good stuff, but you're also seeing the bad stuff. That's right. Yeah. How much longer? That's right. Yep. And I. Yeah, and I wrestle with Hebrews nine twenty seven. We didn't get to that. It's appointed once for man to die, and then the waiting place. No. And then the judgment. Wow. We die and then judgment? I thought we all waited for the coming of Christ. It's appointed once to man to die, and then the judgment. So, all right. All the verses that talk about hanging around, just like that, the lower parts of earth go down. That's right. All talks about the man who died ascending to the third heaven. Right. Yeah. All the stuff in heaven. So, that guy on this day, on this side of Pentecost, went to heaven. He did. He went up to heaven, to the heaven. I just thought of something. Uh-huh. Uh, human kind, people have always been, you know, like in, in the modern times anyway, people have been trying to prove about if they're God, if they're not. Yeah. Why have they never been digging gates to see if there's an Yeah. Well, they, you know, they did dig a hole. In China or Russia? It was Russia. Dug a hole. They wanted to dig the lowest hole to the earth. And the people who were digging, well, first of all, it got really hot. It gets cold and then it gets really, really hot. And they realized that the, the danger of digging down that far. But some of the men I've heard, heard voices. Uh, they experienced all kinds of crazy feelings getting down deep into that part of the earth. So, I mean, yeah, that's right. Yeah, this, that's freaky stuff. Um, I don't have an answer for that. It's a good thing. It's not necessary for our salvation. Exactly. It's yeah. a big question. All right. So until next week.
Thank you for tuning in to today's broadcast. Be sure to subscribe and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, and YouTube. Also, visit our website at rayreynoldsrap.com. If you'd like to contribute to the show, content suggestions, uh, questions, prayer requests, or even if you just want to reach out to us, you can email us at rayreynoldsrap at gmail.com. Have a great day as you seek to maintain an authentic life in Christ Jesus. To help you in your study of the Bible, we want to send you this Bible Correspondence Course. This course is non-denominational. It's based on the Bible. It's conducted by mail, and it's free. To receive this course, write to Getting to Know Your Bible, P.O. Box 314, Summerdale, Alabama, 36580, or call toll-free 1-877-711-5214.